everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Houseman, and welcome to 10 Foot Pole, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4. Today, our guest is the Reverend Sarah Garrett Cray, who is the assistant to the Bishop for Mobility and Candidacy in the Metro Washington, D.C. Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Whew. Quite a title when you say that's it all like that, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot right. of words. <laughs> I mean, assistant to the bishop, so you're a fancy person. Oh, but, uh, you know. um, what this means is that uh, Sarah's job in the D.C. area is to help churches find pastors and help pastors find churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get to walk alongside people in discernment in seasons of transition, which is beautifully ironic uh, because I am called in to be the like calming presence in that. And when I am in my own season of discernment and transition, I am just the furthest thing from calm. Um, I mean, like you exuded on the outside, though. Like I do like, (laughs) you know, I think of you and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's could totally uh, be a calming presence for lots of people it's a very um like in my own crisis i am useless but in other people's like crisis and anxiety great no no problem i'm yeah you just described like 90 percent of the pastors i know yeah exactly Mm -hmm. that's the (laughs) happens yeah anyways well thank you for joining us yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. Um, Pastor Sarah is going to help us talk about uh, the gospel lesson for the fourth Sunday in Advent. So last Sunday before we get to Christmas for mm-hmm. Sunday, December 18th. Um, and the assigned text is Matthew 1 verses 18 to 25. I'm going to read that, but also Pastor Sarah and I are going to talk a, about a little about the whole chapter of Matthew 1 and sort of this is the thing that the author of Matthew really wanted us to know about Jesus coming into the world. Uh, but I'm going to read the New Revised Standard Version of this Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Hmm. 
So this is the entire birth story of uh, Jesus in the Gospel yeah. of Matthew. Yeah. I, I find it interesting. Uh, not a lot. So, so, yeah. So when it comes to, like, the birth story of Jesus, right, like, we all have a very specific idea in our head of what happened. Uh, mm -hmm. We all have nativity scenes somewhere in our house, right? So you have a barn uh, with a baby lying in a horse trough. Um, mm -hmm. And you got some cute animals by and then maybe some shepherds with their staff. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you have the magi there too, all hanging out in this barn, checking Jesus out. Um, this is actually mildly a little, a little mishmash of, of stories, mm -hmm. um, but mostly most of this comes from Luke. So we know uh, Mark and John don't have baby Jesus's story. Um, the authors of those two gospels find this irrelevant. They're like, we don't need to know that. I mean, mm -hmm. like he didn't do anything until later, right? So this is irrelevant. And so this is what we get in Matthew, right? Yeah. Like this is it. He was born. They named him Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's the whole story. Yeah. Um, so most of this, you know, stuff with the, you know, the angels telling the shepherd, there's no room for in all that stuff is in Luke, which is why that is always the Christmas Eve story, uh, the, the nativity of our Lord, because that's the only nativity story that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one instead, of my, oh, tell me, go ahead. No, I was, one of my favorite activities with like confirmation kids is like, okay, tell me the Christmas story, tell me the birth of Jesus. And then they, you know, they give me and I'm like, who's there and what happens and when does it happen and all of that. And they give you like everything that they can remember, right? Like the Magi and the shepherds and the choir of angels and all of that stuff. And then I'm like, all right, let's actually read these stories from each of the gospels. And they're like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're telling me that some of the gospels don't even mention it at all. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then like, so the Magi are in Matthew, but then the shepherds are mm -hmm. in Luke. Um, yeah, it's so this, this is the story from Matthew. So, right. So like, uh, I don't want to give a spoilers alert here, but like, um, I, I don't know why it's a spoilers alert. It's in the Bible. You can go read it. Um, <laughs> if you don't know by now. <laughs> right. Um, so this is chapter one that we just read, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. There's a genealogy, which we're totally going to talk about in a moment. Mm -hmm. And then this is the birth story. And then immediately starts chapter two, where Herod's like, people are like, oh, Herod, did you hear about the new king of the Jews that's born? And he's like, where? Um, and gets super jealous and is like, go find this baby and kill him. Um, mm -hmm. And then they can't find him because the, 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 they are warned ahead of time. And so Joseph and Mary and the infant um, flee to Egypt um, and live there as political refugees for a time. Um, and Herod sends people in to uh, kill all of the uh, babies in Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. It's a great, it's a great birth story. Yep. Twists and turns. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, so the the part that we read uh, is the end of chapter one. Mm -hmm. So there's an entire beginning of chapter one so how the gospel of matthew starts so right before the portion that we read out loud is the genealogy of jesus and there are some interesting things to note in this genealogy there is also a genealogy in luke um that's different by the way uh there mm -hmm. are different genealogies uh but let's talk about this genealogy in matthew for a moment yeah yeah, I mean, first, like, why would Matthew begin with a genealogy? 
Um, and, you know, the primary purpose is to sort of prove the Davidic line, right? To prove that Jesus is from the line of David. Um, and what does it? It does it is the is the question um that that's that's like the intention right we uh we are led to believe um but this genealogy doesn't follow like the typical quote-unquote rules of a gene genealogy for uh for this time certainly yeah do you want to talk a little bit about that well, uh, one thing that's striking out that stands out in this genealogy specifically for the time is that there are four women mentioned in the genealogy. Mm-hmm. That that's not normal. And if you look at the Gospel of Luke, there zero no no women. There's actually not even like these sentences where they say this is the father of so and so, born by so and so. This is the like and brothers. None of that. If you go to the Gospel yeah. of Luke, it is um, there's the word uh, ton, which is actually doesn't have a, a like a you know, I say it, it's like a definite article, right? So it's literally just yeah. the son of, and then it's ton heli, ton Matt, ton whatever. Like it just, um, there's just this technical article in between these males' names. Um, that is how it would typically be done. So in Matthew, uh, already you should notice there are four women named. And what's interesting is the four women, I guess they're not all named, but the four mm-hmm. women that are mentioned in, yeah. in this, right? If they're not the matriarchs, they're not like Rebecca or Sarah or these like main women that you would think of in, in this line, these matriarchs. Uh, they are four women with some drama around them. Mm-hmm. With some scandal, yes. dare we say. Talk um, about these scandalous women. I mean, I think that's my favorite part of this, of the beginning of Matthew is that we like to think of Luke's gospel as being the one that's filled with the most scandal, Mm -hmm. but this genealogy in and of itself, which it's really easy to skip over a genealogy, right? Like, why would you read it? It's boring. So-and-so begat Mm -hmm. so-and-so begat so-and-so. But it tells this it it tells a story right and so the fact that these women are either mentioned by name or alluded to and that these are women who um presumably have been surrounded by scandal um and that's the way that matthew kicks it off mm-hmm. um I, I think sets us up to talk about the scandal of jesus and the scandal of jesus life and if i can get a little nerdy do for it a second Nerd out. um because the word scandal um comes from the greek skandalon right which Ooh. is the noun or skandalizo which is the verb form of that um, and I have my uh, my Greek lexicon here, um, but it's one of my favorite words in Greek. Uh, and so we think of scandal as something that like causes offense, right? Mm-hmm. Drama, whatever. Um, and like that is one of the definitions of scandal. But the primary definitions for scandalon, for scandalizo, um, is to be a stumbling block or oh. to cause someone to sin or to set a trap for someone um that that is how scandal is uh is described in the greek which i love which is like used to stumble in a way um and i 
love that because well that that actually like that totally fits with the story right yeah that's what this entire like the story of jesus being born is a scandal yeah but it's not scandalous for the reasons that we think it is right it's not scandalous because mary is pregnant out of wedlock right it's no actually this i think what you tell me your scandal and then i what i think is the scandal in the story we just read well yeah like in the kingdom of god like for god scandal anything that causes someone to stumble is injustice and oppression and abuse of power right so the you know the real scandal would have been if you know if mary had been run out of town or stoned because she was found to be pregnant before being married, right? That that system, that patriarchal uh, system is scandalous in the way that it harmed women, right? Or it harmed the most vulnerable. Um, And so like the scandal is that the Holy Spirit, that God's work in this completely subverts all these existing power structures, well, and I think um, the scandal then comes down to Joseph's choice, right? Yeah. So this yeah. story of in, in Matthew of Jesus being born, it's about Joseph, not actually really about Mary. Um, and so sort of, uh, you know, Joseph's choice here, right? So we hear that he is uh, righteous. So he is an upstanding, you know, faithful Jew, right? So he would have followed their laws, followed the, the laws of Moses. So if he were to follow the laws here, he should have turned her in, mm-hmm. right? So he chooses not to follow the law, mm-hmm. not to, you know, go along with this oppressive system to women. Yeah. Just the the line that he chooses to dismiss her quietly is already scandalous. Yeah. I I think too, um, I don't know if I have ever paid that much attention to like sort of quickly going back to the genealogy for a second Mm -hmm. is that when Joseph, by the time Joseph comes up in the genealogy, how he's described um, is Joseph, the husband of Mary. So I, yeah, I just, I love that so much because Mary is not Joseph's wife, right? Joseph is the husband of Mary, which sort of puts the the emphasis on Mary, right? That like, uh, there's this, you know, Joseph does like do this upstanding thing, or, you know, he plans to do this upstanding thing. And then an angel comes in and says, Joseph, actually... Um, although you have the like societal, like patriarchal power in this situation, mm-hmm. what's actually happening is that Mary holds like unspeakable power in her womb at this moment. <laughs> and so here's what I want you to do. Right. And there's yeah. this sort of like flip there that I, that I really love in this story. Yeah, I just, I really like um, Joseph, uh, Mary's husband. (laughs) That is, it is a huge turn on how people would be described, right? Mm -hmm. Like it would be, you know, like maybe she's, if if she would even be mentioned, right? Like she would be the wife of him. But the fact that no, it's the other way around. He is described as her husband. Yeah. 
Um, and that's why he is important. Yeah. But let's talk about these um, other women for a minute that are that are mentioned mm-hmm. in here. Um, because to me, when I read it for the very, you know, when I when I were to go to read it, the, the first thing that sticks out to me is of these four women who are mentioned, one of them is not mentioned by name. And the way that she is mentioned actually is like particularly, um, I think, scandalous, right? Mm-hmm. So when we get to, to David... Right. So this is the bit the big deal when we when we when we talk about David, because it goes from Abraham to David and then David to the exile in Babylon and then from Babylon to to Joseph. Um, but it says that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very interesting, um, so this is Bathsheba, right? And if you uh, remember the story of David and Bathsheba, you know, he saw her bathing on the roof, um, that thing, um, and decided that he wanted her. So he had her husband, Uriah, killed. Yeah. He then takes her as a wife and has more children with her. Um, which one of whom is Solomon, uh, but mm-hmm. not that she's not mentioned as David's wife, right? Because at this point in time, right. she would be David's wife. No, no, no. The wife of Uriah. Yeah. And that is a very, there's like, that's a gut punch to David in the stomach mentioned yeah. in the genealogy of the savior of the world, right? Like this is very, very intentional. Yeah. Like David, do you remember that thing you did? Yeah. That horrific thing you did i'm gonna just shout it out here just yeah. very casually like, i want everybody this... who reads about this story of god's child to remember that you did that thing yeah this is a sick burn by the gospel writer for sure for sure um and 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 i i mean i love it it's just a uh, yeah it's it's uh, it's easy to miss it's easy to miss if you're not paying attention to it. But um, yeah. And and I mean, like, as we talk about like the genealogy, which is, in you know, why it's so important is like, you know, it's intended to, or people presume that it's intended to connect Jesus to the Davidic line. Mm-hmm. And I think it says something bigger too about, um, and let me be really, really clear on this. <laughs> That I would never say that, um, you know, be- because we're talking about a sexual assault here, right? Like we are talking, we are talking about rape, right? And so I would never say that, um, you know, God uses that horrific action to bring about something good, right? Like, no, that's, that's not how that works. Um I, I do think, though, that naming this in the genealogy to name that this is a line of human people who are deeply sinful and flawed. And yet, Jesus, Savior of the world, is going to come into the midst of this kind of mess, is going to is going to reveal himself to a world that has done unspeakable things, right? Um, And that God's grace is going to still be poured out to a world that by all means doesn't deserve it. 
Yeah. Right. Well, I, so I think it's a critique of the Davidic line. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, quite commonly people are like, oh, this, you know, this genealogy of connecting Jesus to Davidic line is giving him that authority. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's the opposite. I yeah. think in the way that this is laid out, the author is throwing a lot of shade on the Davidic line and saying, mm-hmm. this is the person that's going to fix, going to correct, going to counter course. Um, that clearly being a king doesn't having this royal blood this monarchy doesn't necessarily mean anything yeah to their authority to their goodness to their their anything right like so we see that it's really like it is i think especially by that line the wife of uriah and then that ending uh you know with the deportation to babylon there's a reason to saying hey this is the downfall of of yeah of this monarchy well, it's a it's a message to say this is how much your pedigree does not matter. Mm-hmm. Like this is great, good for you. You're all we can trace your ancestry back to Abraham. We can then yep. also trace, you know, your genealogy to your exile to the yep. end of monarchy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so like it, in that way, it is both a like trashing of the Davidic line and. And a connection of Jesus to that line, but not for the reason that people expect, not Mm -hmm. because, oh, well, look, Jesus is coming from, you know, this righteous, uh, you know, this righteous family, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, well, uh, actually, yeah, let's look at the other, the other three women who are Mm -hmm. named here also um, go to, I think, sort of like kind of are, are pointing out these sore thumbs or sore you know these Mm -hmm. these these are the thorns in this family tree like there's a reason it's not the matriarchs they're fine they're exactly where they should be in the line of succession but these four women that are named are not they should not be a part of this line that's why they're there um you know two of which are are not israelites you know they're from foreign tribes we don't like them um i always say this so that uh, people um I, I guess I say this when I like teach classes about the Old Testament and stuff to remember that like there are other Jews besides the Israelite people, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are other tribes that are all Jewish. They subscribe to the same things. These, however, are specifically, this is about that line of, of Israel and these yeah. are their stories. Yeah. Um, and, and so what that is to say that like all of these Jewish tribes don't necessarily get along. Yeah. Um, and that they get pitted against each other but that like this isn't just the story of the jews this is the story of these very specific jews yeah and that's important to understand when we when we read the narrative of of the books in the hebrew bible that's it's from a specific lens and so then these other jews that get names such as ruth and rahab they shouldn't be a part of this because they're from different tribes Mm-hmm. And so essentially they're foreigners in this line. And and so what does that mean yeah. to add that into this genealogy? Yeah. And as we get further into Matthew, we see that that's a big commitment to the gospel writer is explaining how Jesus comes to expand. Yes. Right. The kingdom of God mm-hmm. and that it includes all people. Right. And so we see that in his ministry to the Gentiles and we see that in his in his teaching and in the, you know, inclusion of folks who many, you know, many of his Jewish contemporaries didn't, 
didn't anticipate being included, right? Um, and so the fact that that we get tipped off that that's happening from the genealogy, yeah. like it's such a it's such it's a great launching piece. point for yeah. the rest of Jesus' ministry in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last woman that is uh, named uh, by name is Tamar. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to uh, Genesis thirty-eight. And read Tamar's whole story and her scandal, um, but that she is also mentioned in this line because the children that she fathers is with her father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, I I think, well, I actually think it's kind of a cool story about how she sort of like is used, but claims her post in the world anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's this kind of dialogue around Tamar that like she hasn't earned the place in the in the genealogy, right? Mm-hmm. And like um again as we look ahead to Jesus ministry, it's that nobody earns their place in God's family, right? Yeah. That nobody by their pedigree, by you know, uh, and and that's the like that's why I I love this genealogy because it sets us up so well for the rest of Matthew for and for who Jesus will be and so like mm-hmm. we talk about this this story the birth of Jesus in this story like oh there's not a lot to it it's like if you back up and you read that genealogy and you unpack it yeah holy moly yeah well okay so let's talk about this so the matthew genealogy ends in joseph showing us who joseph being of this davidic line yeah Um, the husband of mary yes the husband of mary (laughs) but not the biological father of jesus Mm -hmm. so why is this important yeah why do we need to know what Joseph's line is? We just then very clearly go through that he is not the, that we made it very clear. He is not actually the father of this baby. So why do we need to know his line? Yeah. Honestly, I think it's exactly what you said. It's that the gospel writer is trying to critique this idea of the, of the Davidic line of like why it is so important to people. Um, and so it's, it's almost that your like. Your blood doesn't actually, uh give you any power or authority it is not that it's not who your parents are it's very clearly by your words and deeds and actions as we will see jesus carry out in his life yeah yeah it's almost like matthew starts with a deconstruction of like because it really it does it draws you in and initially you're like oh this is going to connect us to the line of david and that's going to be great and then you get the wife of uriah and you're like oh (laughs) and then you keep going and you get Tamar and then you know um you get and those people uh were deported so uh yeah you yeah. know I I actually think that like it's kind of a that what's happening is like the author the author of this gospel is kind of throwing up a middle finger to this Israel history of yeah. putting such an important emphasis on the blood of these people on that like what mm-hmm. gave you power is you were the son of so and so um, and we see this woven a lot through the the Hebrew Bible, right? And so I think that they're making it very clear, right? That like, oh uh, no, yeah, that's not how this works, and that's not the way that that God's gonna treat people. Yeah, and and it is a middle finger, and it's not for the sake of being anti-Jewish, right? right. Like Correct. it is, yes. 
it's it's more a middle finger to our human practices mm-hmm. our human of monarchy and hierarchy and yeah our yeah. human ways of categorically placing people into mm-hmm. you know less than system. or better than yeah exactly um and and again like that will be jesus message and ministry is breaking down those barriers and subverting those ideas of who mm-hmm. is the least of these and who is, you know, who is on top versus who is on the bottom and just completely flipping that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is, um, I, it's just kind of this genealogy, just so much is, is wrapped up in there. Mm-hmm. So there is, I, I alluded to briefly that there is also a, a genealogy in the gospel of Luke, um, it is in chapter three. So this actually comes after Jesus is baptized. So we have the the fun um, baby born in a barn story, you know, him getting circumcised, growing up, baptized, all this good jazz. And then we get his uh, genealogy. Um, and so it's interesting how um, people view these different genealogies um, because they, they don't agree, right? Like mm-hmm. they have um, a, a totally different line Um the genealogy in Luke takes us all the way back to Adam to sort of mm-hmm. um, kind of prove that Jesus is God's son by this direct line through Adam. Um, but that they're different. Um, they go through David by a different child um, mm-hmm. and they, they end and they, they, they do things differently. And so what does, what does that mean that they're different? Um, this is where our biblical literists, the people that take word for word the Bible very literally, can can run into some some problems. Um, if you're like, wait a minute, but they say different things. Um, and there is a way of explaining that away um, that we can neither confirm or deny the truth of this. So um, because the beginning of Luke focuses on Mary and Mary's story and um, it focuses on Mary going to visit her her cousin Elizabeth um, and it focuses on you know Mary's feelings and Mary's prayer and, and very much about Mary in the story rather than here it's you know in Matthew it's mostly about Joseph so the argument is that this is indeed actually Mary's lineage Mm-hmm. Um, and it is written very the way that it, un, unlike the Matthew throwing women and other kind of snide things in there, it's very exactly the way it should be. This is this person of this person of this person of this person of this person. That, that's it. It's of someone of someone. It's not even son of someone, some of someone. Yeah. We actually add that in, in the English. It is just of them, of them, of them. And they're all males that are are listed here coming down to Joseph. And the argument um, is this is the way the line would have been written. And the fact that like it says that uh, Joseph is of is the son of uh, Heli, it actually they would say, well, it's the son-in-law that he is the son of Heli because he's married to Mary. And that is indeed mm-hmm. actually Mary's father. But you would never list a woman in the genealogy like that. You would list her husband. Yeah. So that's the argument is that it actually is indeed Mary's father, but because this is written in the very traditional way that lineages would have been written with the male names listed only, she gets erased. She gets erased. And so it seems that it is Joseph's father, but it's actually Joseph's father-in-law. Yeah. 
that's the justification for that 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 is indeed mary's line that's why they're different yeah um we we don't have any information to confirm or or deny this this presumption but right just want to throw that out there um if we're looking for reasonings as to why these would be different yeah which to me like i mean that would make sense to me in a way like because it it's still to me like my very first thing is like why do we need to know what joseph's heritage is it's Mm -hmm. more important what mary's is if we're really trying to connect the lines if that's actually the intention is connecting jesus to adam by biological lineage yeah that would be what's more important yeah and remembering that the you know the writer of luke's gospel and the writer of matthew's gospel had different priorities right different audiences yeah different audiences and they're both trying to communicate different things Mm -hmm. right um so the connections that luke wants to make are going to be different in a lot of ways than the connections that matthew wants to make right Right. yeah i i love that i i do love this story of joseph and how like he is trying to do the right thing as he's trying to do the best he can with what he has. Right. Well, so he's actually put in a position of a somewhat of an ethical conundrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can, we run into this in our, in our time and day and age of understanding, like doing what's right versus doing what's lawful. Those are yeah. actually can be, can be different things, you know? And so so I think how we have read this in the 21st and, you know, over the last century or so is that um, he was righteous and because of this, he was going to dismiss her quietly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually us, I think, inserting some stuff into the text because a totally yeah. faithful way to read that is he is righteous and also, because the word there is Kai, which can, can mean mm-hmm. that as well. And also. Yeah. He wants to dismiss her quietly. Yeah. Um, that those are actually entirely separate things because being righteous and being a lawful man means that he should have done this of turn yeah. for him. Um, to which the penalty um, quite frequently is death of being yeah. stoned to death outside of her father's front door. Um, uh, but he didn't want that. Yeah. I'm sure Heli didn't want that, you know. So um, yeah. he, he makes I... this choice. So he is righteous and yet he doesn't right. want to do this to her because his his you know moral compass disagrees with the law that is written yeah well i think um uh, the thing that i love so much about this is that it's so it's so annoyingly accurate as to how god has shown up in my own life right Mm -hmm. of like here's joseph looking at two terrible options right he sees only as far as we can tell he sees only two ways out of this right one is that he dismisses her publicly and likely gets her killed, mm-hmm. right? The other one is that he dismisses her privately and maybe is able to like, you know, maybe she's able to get out of Dodge, right? But it's still not an ideal mm-hmm. like scenario. And then this angel of the Lord comes in and says, actually, Joseph, there's more than two options here. Um, and actually, I'm going to, blow up your idea of what is happening in this situation. So what I want you to do instead is marry her and also be the father of the savior of the world. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, of this, you know, this idea that when we look at a situation and we see rock in a hard place, mm. right? We see there's this or there's this, that God's actually like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> here's a here's a third option. Yeah. Um, and which it's going to flip everything. Yeah. Which also frames really well with, um, you know, what Jesus gets to, because quite, quite often Jesus is showing that third way. Yeah. It's actually yeah. a book about that. I think it might be called the third way. It's a very short read. I had to read it in seminary. Yeah. I think for a JP's class. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, but it really points to how, you know, uh, that exact thing that like, yeah the the turning the other cheek and like that there's always there's always another option yeah 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 this is such a uh, it's also funny to me that this happens in advent right like this is the last sunday before christmas and typically you know typically it's jesus isn't born until december 25th correct which is not actually a thing um, but, you know, and so the fact that this shows up in the fourth Sunday of Advent and we already have the birth of Jesus, you're like, oh, okay. All right. That's a little, that feels a little early. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, so but I, I don't think know. a lot I've... of people like don't recognize that this is the birth story in yeah. the gospel of Matthew. They're like, yeah, oh yeah, so... this is about, this is about Joseph, right? So this is. This is how Joseph um, sort of had to deal and, you know, talk to the angels and deal with the, the coming of coming of the Savior. But that, you know, this is the end of Matthew 1. Clearly, if I turn the page to Matthew 2, that's when I'm going to hear the story about Jesus being born in a manger. But yeah. it's not. Yeah. Je- I mean, Jesus' birth is is literally almost a footnote at the yeah. end of this story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so Joseph did what he was told and... Uh, had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named so, him Jesus. And right, so it. what does that mean then? The fact that like Jesus's birth is actually a footnote. So what, so that's not actually what it's about then. Right. So yeah. the main, you know, the main thing that I think it's about is this scandal. Yeah. We named the scandalous women. Um, and actually, if you, you know, you add Mary, Mary's the fifth scandalous woman mm-hmm. um, in this genealogy that's listed here. Um, that the focus isn't about the birth. It's about that. Yeah. And that, and again, the scandal is not, the scandal is not the women. The scandal is the way that all of these women in many ways have been, you know, abused or manipulated or um, put in these horrific positions um and you know the the scandal as yeah. we perceive it right as as humanity wants to perceive it is not the scandal that god is trying to communicate mm-hmm. right the scandal that god is trying to communicate is completely subverting systems of power that harm vulnerable people yep. right um through the All life. the way through critiquing the Davidic line. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, throughout the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Spoiler alert. That's getting way ahead of the story. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say too, um, of sort of, you know, when we think about, um, 
you know, the abuse and the position that women are often used and put into here, um, sort of naming that for Mary. Um, because so this story, this birth of Jesus, that's a footnote. The story is about how, um, you know, Mary would have told her fiance husband as it's listed, um, what, what, what happened, um, you know, that the angel came to her and that told her the Holy spirit, the whole thing. Well, clearly he didn't believe her. Yeah. Yeah. And had to be had to be told himself directly from God that he he didn't believe her. Um so that's that that's my uh that's my critique of of Joseph in this story. He gets this upstanding righteous man, but he totally yeah. didn't, you know, he he was going to dismiss her cuz he didn't believe her. The assumption was that she cheated on him. Yeah. Yeah. And and we and we don't know what to make of that because we don't have this uh you know, we don't have the same story that we have from Luke where Mary has this conversation with an angel, right? Yeah. And the angel explains what's going to happen. And and here it is, right? We don't get any of that in Matthew. So we have zero context for what Mary knows, for what, you know, mm-hmm. if we're going to sing, Mary, did you know, we can, you know, we can sing it about the gospel of Matthew because in Luke's gospel, she 100% knows. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't stand that song. Me neither. Me neither. Uh, just um, in case anybody really spent some time thinking about the theology in that song, it's yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I don't want to dive into that whole. But I did want to mention another thing that I uh, found in my research. To just throw this out here is like this. This is like a game changer. Take it or leave it. Up to mm-hmm. you. Gonna make a lot of people feel uncomfortable about this story that they've heard. Um, that uh, the word that we translate and have always ran with that Mary is a virgin mm-hmm. might not actually be a super accurate uh, translation. And so I want to read to you, I'm going to read it directly in his words because this is a man way smarter and educated, more educated than I am. Um, and so I want you know, to put this in this way. So this is from the Reverend Dr. John C. Holbert, who is a retired Methodist pastor and theological professor. He says, I used to say in my haughtier youth, the Hebrew Alma meant only young women, while Greek Parthenos could mean either virgin or young women. Hence, Matthew may or may not have been saying that Jesus's birth was a virgin one. He may only have been quoting Isaiah 7.14 to do what he always wished to do with his Bible quotations, namely to prove from Hebrew scripture that Jesus was who Matthew said he was, the Messiah of Israel. A lot of quoting of of Isaiah for this this reason. Mm -hmm. Continuing in quotes. In my older, increased scholarly humility, well, somewhat increased humility, I know that the entire linguistic discussion is rather more complex. Alma could, in fact, mean virgin, though Hebrew does have another word that usually does mean that, Mm -hmm. Bethula. Thus, I do not any longer excoriate those who try to prove Jesus' miraculous birth simply by quoting these texts. What What Isaiah meant and what Matthew meant may finally be beyond our ability to recover, given mm-hmm. the two millennia and more that have passed since their writing. End quote. Yeah. So what he's saying 
is that the word that would have been used, uh, typically used to mean virgin in Hebrew, is not the one that was used in Isaiah and is not the one that Matthew was quoting. Mm-hmm. The one that they are quoting that Isaiah said and that Matthew was quoting is typically used to mean young woman. Um, uh, it in particularly it means like maiden, which mm-hmm. you can draw an assumption that someone is a virgin based on being called a maiden. Just an unmarried woman is what it yeah. is. Um, we have really, and by we, the Catholic Church very specifically has very much grasped on to this idea of the the virgin birth so much that what mm-hmm. he's saying is, is that's might probably not what it means at all but there's no way that yeah. you're gonna have you know there's no way you're gonna change anyone's minds on that at this point in time yeah i just wanted to throw that out there as sort of uh an interesting yeah. uh yeah, I mean, a linguistic like, lesson to wrestle with. Um, yeah. This is, I think, um, it, it could be is pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people to be like, wait a minute. You mean yeah. that the, the author of Matthew might not actually be saying that this was a virgin birth? Well, I mean, add that to the fact that we are not the only faith tradition that has a virgin birth as part of its narrative, right? Very true. But also, like, last year on this text. I'm sorry, but if I'm Mary at this point, I'm pissed because all anybody wants to talk about is my marital status and my virginity. It's when always sex. I say it all the time. The church is obsessed with sex. We care so much. I mean, all the we way care down so much. Yeah. To the mother of Jesus, right? Like that's what we focus on. That's what she has always yeah. done as Virgin Mary. Her, In the same- her entire like sainthood dim, relies mm-hmm. on the fact that she hadn't had sex. Yeah. And in the same breath, in the same verse that we get Jesus birth here, we also have the, you know, just, just have to also note that Joseph had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And by the way, his name was Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus's birth is a footnote to Mary and Joseph's sex life. Yeah. I I mean, I just say this entire first chapter of the gospel of Matthew, the whole like genealogy through yeah. the story of the footnote of Jesus's birth is it's about sex. Yeah. All of it. Which the yeah. women that are named for a reason, sex. Yep. You know, the story of why Joseph might dismiss her, didn't dismiss her uh, sex. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we act like what makes Mary so righteous and worth celebrating is her virginity mm-hmm. when like the fact that she says yes to God and that, it, and, and again, that's Luke's narrative, mm-hmm. right? That she says yes to God, that she says, you have asked me to do this thing and I, I will do it. I will bear the savior of the world right that's the thing too that you get in luke that you don't get here um Uh mary's choice uh, yeah that mary did still have agency yeah yeah the god this isn't a god rape story we just we just do mary so dirty and i hate it so much um so you know i i do wish there i that is what i'm i do miss from this from matthew's account um but again like what matthew is trying to do is subvert our ideas of scandal mm-hmm. and what is scandalous and i think you know if we look at scandal as a trap 
we can very easily get caught in the trap of scripture where we are so focused on purity and virginity and bloodline and all of these things that we completely miss that Jesus is trying to say, nope, none of that is the focus in the kingdom of God, not even a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, That that's the trap. That's the true scandal is when we get lost, lost in that and we miss the message and the ministry and the grace of Jesus. Mm. Amen. I'm going to, um, as we wrap up here, I was thinking as, as you're talking about this and, and talking about um, maybe what it means to be the scandal. Um, I, I'm going to add these. They can be my very first blog post, but I will add them to the website. Uh, tenfifthpodcast.com so that folks can can read them if you're looking for a christmas message my i gave my two years in a well because you know it's the same it's the same text every year so they are on the on the luke text but we are not going to be talking about that on the podcast mm-hmm. we're not talking about christmas eve so i will put these up here my christmas eve sermons the last couple of years um it's a two-parter the audacity of christmas uh part one and then the audacity of christmas part two um and just you know it talks about this the the scandal of of what it means for god to come into the world this way yeah thank you pastor sarah for joining us for this uh this conversation has just been um, amazing and great and um yeah, thanks for having me. This I, is so I much hope fun. A little challenging for people as they are hearing this, preparing for the the week of Christmas of of really thinking about um, you know, uh Mary and Joseph and uh what it means in their part in this scandalous uh Christmas story of God coming into the world. Yeah. So thank you. Um thank you again for for joining us. Um, I, I just want to give a shout out to um, you know, those of you out there that are that are really kind of helping as uh we're we're sort of growing this podcast, right? And the big thing is, is sharing it. So every single one of you that shares this podcast, you, you are, are helping and you are being a part of this in such a a great way. Um, we can do our ministry, uh, to, to more by sharing. So please, uh, please subscribe, uh, wherever it is that you can listen to podcasts, you can subscribe. So you get notifications of new episodes that come out, uh, follow on Facebook, on Instagram, a 10 foot pole podcast, and please share with uh, family and friends, uh, loved ones. Um, a-, a cool thing that I know some people do is they have a small, like, not really a Bible study, but sort of like this is their sort of small group discussion base as they talk, they listen to the podcast and then they talk about it together. Um, so I hope that, you know, more more people can do things like that, that this could be uh, your engagement with scripture um, and with friends in that way. So anyways, uh, continue to follow us and remember that the 10 Foot Pole podcast is a ministry of the Delaware, Maryland Synod, and you can learn more at demdsynod.org. Thanks. We'll see you next time.